All right, guys, welcome to episode 24. On today's show, I have Kirsten Kimmel, who is the women's lacrosse head coach at Duke University. Before we get started, coach, talking about your coaching career and your journey, I want to talk about, you know, your family and your upbringing. So you have a daughter, Caroline Kimmel, who is at East Carolina University. Your brother, Mike, and husband, Jack, play baseball at Western Carolina University. And your sister, Lindsay, played lacrosse at James Madison University. Not to mention you had uncles and cousins that were Division I athletes as well. Safe to say that the family tree is really blessed. And I'd never heard of anything like that, especially the amount of athletes that you guys have in your family, which is really, really awesome. But speaking about your daughter, Caroline, how does it make you feel as a mother to see her play the same sport that you did at the Division One level? Because you played at Maryland during your time, during your career as a lacrosse player. So seeing your daughter play the same sport that you did, how does that make you feel as a mother? So it's a little interesting side note about Caroline is that she was a premature baby. So she was born about eight weeks early. Mm. Um, and then when she turned, when she was 13, the summer going into eighth grade, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, which really had a physical impact on her and she's in good shape right now but it's something that she has to kind of really manage um a lot so for me i like you know people that are close to us know like her getting to play at a high level and contribute and be a leader on her team is like gravy like i literally like this sounds so crazy but i say to people all the time i'm like when I watch her play, which is typically on the computer, you know, because I can't be at a lot of her games, I'm literally just saying the prayer, like, don't get hurt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, don't get hurt. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, she's been really fortunate. She's had an awesome opportunity in East Carolina. I'm really proud of the progress that she's made from when she kind of was diagnosed with this disease in middle school through high school and college, because uh-huh. it's definitely been challenging, but she's adapted really well. And... You know, I'm just, I'm really, as much as I'm proud that she's done well on the field, I'm more proud of the fact that she's been a real leader for her team and the program at ECU. Right. Okay, that's awesome. That's great to hear. A lot of parents can't really say that. And for you to see your own daughter playing the same sport you did and her being a leader and you teaching her life values and she's implemented that into her college career is awesome. And a lot of parents can't say that, just which is awesome. So congrats on that, Coach. So during your college career, yeah, no problem. During your college career, you had a lot of accolades, but the one accomplishment that stuck out to me the most was you being named the NCAA National Defensive Player of the Year in 1993 and going to four national semifinal appearances, which is hard to do. But what made you stand out from other lacrosse players when you was in college? Because obviously that's hard to do, and for you to be named the NCAA Player of the Year and be on Sports Illustrated and... You had this illustrious career at Maryland. What made you stand out the most from other players? Was it your work ethic, your mentality, your approach to the game, you watching a lot of film? What went into that? So it's really interesting. You know, I thought, first of all, I grew up in a town where field hockey was really the most important. I, like, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, which being from Philly, number one, it's like this, you know, a huge badge of honor that all of us who are from that area wear. But, but more specifically... We grew up in an area where, like, in the 80s, like, girls' athletics was not the way... It was different where we were in Philadelphia. Right. For a lot of different reasons, but... Um, 
like we started playing competitive field hockey in third grade against the other elementary schools in our school district, you know, which was like unheard of. Like that doesn't even happen today. And that was happening back in the like early 80s. But so I kind of grew up in this atmosphere. I grew up in a really awesome athletic atmosphere. My parents were both health and PE teachers. My dad was a high school basketball coach. My dad, I always, my dad was the high school basketball coach at Lower Marion. Right wow. after Kobe Bryant got there. What? Because, and then when my dad knew, my dad knew Kobe's dad very well. And again, again, Philadelphia basketball, wow. everybody knows everybody. And my dad was like, you know, Kobe needs a younger coach. He needs someone who can handle who he's going to be um, and that kind of thing. So I, I grew up in this really awesome, interesting atmosphere. And so for me, I just, I didn't pick up lacrosse until I was in ninth grade. I had run track uh -huh. and I played softball. And my father who would always pushed me to look, try lacrosse, try lacrosse. And I was like, oh, like, I just don't know. I don't know. So I picked it up in ninth grade, which was really late. Uh -huh. And if you had asked me then if, you, if I thought I'd end up at Maryland and getting to do everything I did, I would have been like, no way. I, I couldn't even believe I was recruited, just to be really honest with you. I mean, right. I, I just... Didn't I? And I thought field hockey was going to be my sport. I probably was a little too tall for it, et cetera. But um, anyway, I think that I probably went into college in hindsight with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder to prove myself because there were definitely some like in high schools teams way back then and yeah. honors that I didn't receive that I felt like I needed to prove myself. But I also had this great upbringing um, where my parents were both teachers and coaches. My family overall was really athletic, so I had some pride. I mean, I'm like, I wanted to represent my family really well because I grew up watching my uncles play basketball and my dad coach. And so I wanted to make the most of my opportunity, but I, I was competitive and I also was probably a little raw. So when I got to college and I got really good coaching, um, or I, you know, got, I was one focused on one sport. That's probably a better way to look at it. I really blossomed. And I, so I think it was a little bit of all of that. It was like a combination of my upbringing, my mentality, was definitely competitive. I love to work hard. Um, and I think all those, and I, and I wanted to win, you know, and I felt like my high school, you know, really had wonderful female athletics. So we won like league championship in field hockey, league championship in basketball, league championship in lacrosse and went to state tournaments and all of those. So we were really like the real deal in all of our sports growing up. And so I wanted definitely anything less than that where I probably would have been unhappy. I just didn't realize it at the time, but I definitely wound up at the right place at Maryland. Okay, great. Cause I, I've been to Philly a couple times for basketball tournaments. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, by the way, and I've been to Philly. And there's people from Philly, like especially athletes, they have like this, yes. they have this chip on the shoulder no matter what. I feel like there's a sense of pride being from Philly and holding up your end of bargain as a player and as an individual. And sometimes Columbus, Ohio creates that vibe, being from Columbus and, and wanting to make a name for yourself and create and write your own story. So, and that's what you were able to do. So I, I understand where you're coming from. And I also understand where you're coming from when it comes to being a woman athlete. Back then it was bad uh, as far as like the difference, but I feel like we haven't made any strides yet of, you know, women athletes getting the respect that men athletes do. So my next question is, do you feel like we're making strides as a society uh, for women athletes getting the same respect as men athletes? Because I feel like we're not, especially when it comes to pay. And when you look at the women's USA soccer, they're not paid as much as the men athletes or the, the men's team, but they won a lot of World Cups. So what do you think we have to do in the sports industry to 
close the gap on that of women athletes getting treated fairly? So I think it's a great question. I'm guessing you're probably a good deal younger than I am. Yes, yes. I'm sure it's easy for you to have that perspective, whereas I do, I have seen, I do see progress. Like, if you told me, you know, when I was hired, so my first coaching job was at Davidson College in like 1994. Mm. I made $18,000 a year, you know, and lived in a house with like two other coaches and then when I got hired at Duke in 1995, I was being paid like $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's like I make a very good sustainable living. So I, I, I see progress and I see that like our sport in particular is way more popular. We're on television way more. However, I can see the gaps, you know, and I, you know, am, am I certain that like my male counterparts where I work are paid more than I am. I'm sure that's probably true. Um, the coverage is different, but I, I think that it goes back to, and again, for me growing up in Philadelphia, I feel like I was treated great as a, as a young athlete. I felt like I was valued. I felt like I was important. And I think now society's just kind of catching up to that. Like when I tell you in my hometown, like, if we had a big basketball game, all the old retirees, like, were there. Like, they were all, like, that was, like, the thing to do on a Friday night. Like, right. watch the boys, too. They came to the girls' games, too. That And that's how I was raised, and that's that's where I grew up. And I, I feel like the society in general is, is catching up now. Like, there's a greater appreciation for, uh, for female athletes and their accomplishments and what they're doing. I mean, look at what the English national women's soccer team just did. Right. Um, what was that like two weeks ago? I mean, you—they've never had that kind of like response, respect in, in England. Um, but you know, they really full stadium and they're really being celebrated. So I, I do feel like we've made progress. Do I think we still have a ways to go? I do, um, for sure. But I think it's all relative, right? Like as we've raised our, our profile, like the men's profile, the men's pay, the men's—you know—everything continu- continues to amplify. I mean. I, I think an interesting element for co- the college athletic scene right now is is name, image, and likeness, right? Like, I think you see, I just read that, like, you know, one of the gymnasts at LSU is, like, a millionaire now, you know? Right, like, yeah. I think some of the women are surpassing some of the men in terms of their earning potential. So it's just an interesting time to see how it all is going to kind of fluctuate and change. But I'm with you. Like, we still have a way to go, but I do see the progress that has been made since I was since I was a young person. Okay. And yeah, you, you growing up in the 80s, and, and I was born in 1997. So I feel like the difference between age of, uh, <laughs> the difference between age and growing up in different eras, I feel like it, that can change like someone's perspective. But like we mostly agree on that, and and uh, we are. I mean, we are kind of making some progress. I see it now. But like I said, I just me seeing um, there was this one example. One example is the NCAA tournament. They provided all this gear for the men athletes, and I, you probably saw the pictures. I mean, Kelsey Plum, a, oh, yeah. a popular WNBA player, she posted the pictures and. So the men, they got like, you know, steaks and salmon for dinner. And the, the women athletes, they got ham sandwiches. They got a water bottle. They got, you know, NCAA towel. But the men getting jumpsuits and, and hats and and jewelry and stuff. So so when I see that, it's just like, it just rubs me the wrong way. So that's... that's and I think, and I agree with you. And yeah. I really should. So hold on. So I think that... 
to me, that's also all corporate America. Yeah, you're you're demonstrating that you know those are all sponsored. That's all sponsorship, right? Right, and, right. And I'm sure the NCAA plays a part in terms of attracting those sponsorships and going after them. But like, if you're if you're if you're a father, like let's just say you're you know you own a jewelry company that's providing stuff for you know NCAA athletes like at a tournament. And you're the father of three daughters. Like, how in your how in your good faith can you provide that for a men's team, not a, no, for the women's tournament, but not the women's tournament? You know what I mean? I think it's also, it's it's society, it's corporate America, it's everything kind of changing everybody's like kind of thought processes to where they see the women athletes as value as equals as well as valuable um, in in terms of what they're doing with their marketing and. Like you said, you you talked about how you coached at Davidson and you were really young and now you're coaching at Duke. So when you recruit and go out and look for a player, do you look at the most when you first see a player, when you recruit a player? Is it their body language? Is it their, their demeanor, their interaction between their coach? Because obviously you coach at a prestigious college and you want good players just so you can hold up your end of the bargain and the expectations that come with coaching at Duke. But it's more than just the player, and I've learned that over the years. It's, you know, body language, your demeanor, your interactions with, with your coaches and your teammates goes a long way to you getting a scholarship or not. So what key aspects do you look in the player when you first start to recruit them besides their game? Sure. So I think that, like, again, like you said this, like, I mean, for us coaching, for me coaching at Duke and in the ACC, which is the premier women's lacrosse conference in right. the country, you know, I have to first assess two two major things before I can look at, I even bother to look at any of that. Not to say that it's not important. It's really important. It's just that like, even do you make our list or not? And that is like, are you an ACC caliber athlete, number one? Mm-hmm. And two, are you an, a good candidate from an academic standpoint for Duke? You know, then you start looking at all those really important, you know, qualities, right? And factors. You watch them, you watch how they interact with their coaches, how they I would say number one most obvious thing is how do they react to mistakes on the field because they're going to make mistakes, and then how and then I think that shows maybe how they handle pressure. Like, can they handle the fact that they've made a mistake? Can they handle the fact that their team is down um, or not in a good position? How do they handle coaching? Um, how do they interact with officials? All of those things, and then you know, for us, I mean, we pick up the phone and we make phone calls to the club coaches, right. um, as well as their high school coaches, because then, well, number one, I think club coaches can kind of sell you sometimes on kids, you right. know, depending on the relationship you have with them. Um, but then also you call their high school coaches because in most cases the high school coaches are intertwined with the high school and you know what their thought, what the reputation is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, around the high school. So you, you, and you ask all of those questions because, you know, for us, we, we basically, you know, we, we have high academic standards. Um, you know, Duke is a different place. It's not for everybody and people that all the time. And we have to kind of find that mix of like, the athletic academic fit, the personal fit, and then kind of everything else that goes into it. So it's a, it's a it's a process, and that's really what we're in the middle of right now. Because for us, September first is the big kind of kickoff date where we can start having contact with the kids. We're in the midst of doing all of that kind of research and work. We also employ um, a personality profile to kind of see if they, 
you know, just not where the kids' gaps are, but just more if they match up well with, like, the typical Duke women's lacrosse player, you know, and, the, and that also indicates for us fit, you know, and definitely one of those qualities is resilience, you know, like, are they resilient? Can they handle hard things, you know? Because, as you know, if you're, if you're a former college athlete, it's not an easy road, no matter where you are. There's always going to be ups and downs, and you have to have some of the tools in your personal tool, toolbox to be able to manage those. What is the most important aspect of coaching you know you've been named acc coach of the year five times since you've been at duke so what's the most important aspect of coaching so i think there's two really important things number one you have to have a really good staff and you have to feel like you've got and I'm like, I think a, a really trusting, you're all on the same page and you're trusting and, ha- and you have this great kind of really highly, highly functioning work relationship with those people. So I think that's a really critical piece. But then I think for our players, I think, you know, part of my job, well, let me just back up and say this too. Like, I think part of the head coach's job at this level is to be a manager, right? Like, I love coaching. I wish I got to do more of it, but I recognize that my job as the head coach is that I have to also manage. I have to manage people. I have to manage players. I have to manage all of us together. So I really think a huge key is having like a great staff to work with. But then I also think it's the relationships you develop with the kids. Um, You can't do anything without that. And I think that's something that we've always prided ourselves in here. But I think now that I have my own children who are this age, I have twenty-one year old and a nineteen year old. You, you, I feel like they're when they were younger. Yes, I could relate because it's like, oh, I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. But like now that they're really this age, it's like I have a much better handle on kind of where my kids are, my own players are, right? And so I think that helps me in terms of how I manage them how I create relationships with them. Um, I also think you have to be confident and comfortable to let your coaches really strong relationships with those kids too. Like I can't be everything to all 40 kids on my team. And I know that. And some kids are going to gravitate to my assistance more. I have to be confident enough in myself that that I'm okay with that. And Mm -hmm. so long as they have one of us as a touch point on our staff, um, I'm good with that. That way I feel like we're covering all bases with, with the kids and giving them what they need. Right. Not every player, you can't coach every player the same because you got to be able to learn people in general and just some some people can take yelling, some people you got to pull to the side. And I feel like that goes a long way. I think some coaches, from my experience, um, throughout my, my basketball career, I had a couple coaches who weren't good at that and they can relate to, to us and being, being able to motivate us. And I feel like if your players are down to do the dirty work and do anything possible to perform on a high level to make you happy. I feel like that just goes a long way and that goes into your success as a coach. And when I was in college, you talk about having trust with your assistant coaches. And um, so my assistant coach at Wittenberg, he used to run our practices and our, our head coach used to talk sometimes, but you know, he was obviously a vocal point in our practice. Obviously he was the head coach, but our assistant coaches ran practice. So I feel like having that trust with your assistant coaches from from top to bottom, that goes a long way too with with your coaching staff. That's really important. Yeah, being at a prestigious college like Duke, uh, did you feel pressured right away to perform at a high level when when you first got to Duke? Because obviously, when you coach at a certain university, their expectations are more higher than other universities. 
just because of the program history and just the history of the university itself. So did you feel pressure to come in right away and produce right away? Um, not necessarily right away. Okay. I knew, I mean, we didn't have the ability to kind of, even back then, to like import transfers and stuff like that. And at the time, there were some other new programs that were able to do that, and we just didn't do that. So, you know, it was really hard for my players the first year when we were three and twelve, and then we were mm-hmm. eight and eight. And I just kept, I just kept like hammering into their heads, like slow and steady wins the race, slow and steady wins the race, and then. Sure enough, by our fourth year, we were in the final four, which was awesome. You know, it was it was so cool to kind of have the kids and our coaches at the time really believe that what we were doing was right, even though we weren't seeing like amazing success. You know, we but you know we could see it though. We I think we were like three and twelve, eight and eight, ten and seven. We made our first NCAA tournament, and the fourth year we made the final four, which was awesome. I think that was like nineteen ninety nine. So. You know, I think that I felt like Duke was very realistic in terms of expectations, but I also know my, like, I, I, I wanted to win, you know, I still want to win. And I think the years where you aren't as successful as you want to be are really hard. Like they're really, really hard. And we had, a in recent years, we've had a, we had a couple of years that we were not who we typically are. And that was, those are probably the three most challenging they have been like three of the most challenging years of my life. And I've had a cancer battle, you know, and a, yeah. and a child who was sick. And those years were really hard right. to kind of not not be where we thought we should be. And, um, you know, but I think you just have to believe in yourself and have faith. And fortunately, I have really good people at Duke who believed in me and what yeah. we were doing. Um, and I had great kids, you know, I had great kids who didn't lose faith either. We were just really young, you know. I thought I, and I just really graduated some kids who were kind of central to that. Like I have kids who graduated last year who were fifth year kids who played, who were starters for five years, you know, and with the COVID year. And, you know, they could have easily walked away and, and one kid did, but the rest of them ended up having great careers and our team's really done well. And I'm, I'm very proud of them and I'm proud of the progress that we've made. Like I always tell myself, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's, it's this important. I know this sounds cliche, but I think it's important to, put one foot in front of the other each and every day and just continue to improve. And you can only go forward and not backwards. And once you go forward, don't look back. Once the storm is over and it's sunny outside, you have to be ready. But speaking about you having cancer, I I actually watched your video today, Coach, and I just wanted to say that that really gave me a lot of motivation. Um, Listen to your video a little bit, and you talked about, like, why me? I'm I'm healthy. I've been an athlete my whole life, and... There's a part that said that the surgeon told you what you needed to hear and not what you wanted to hear. And I feel like I can apply that to every aspect of my life. Thank you so much for the inspiration. And it just shows how strong you are as a woman just to be able to coach and have to deal with that. And so just thank you so much for the motivation. I can't imagine how tough that was going through that. So obviously you're here today and you're doing great things. So thank you, coach. I appreciate that. But thank you. I appreciate that. So leading on to the next question, uh, what's your perspective on mental health? Because you've been coaching for a long time. So if, if one of your players came up to you and they had mental health issues going on, how would you handle that? And what's your perspective uh, as a whole on mental health? Well, I mean, I think right now it's it's a it, it, we're in a um, 
I think a really challenging time, you know, with, with regards to mental health. I mm-hmm. think that, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that, right? And we can, that's a whole other kind of bubble wax. But I think that, again, my perspective as a parent is, you know, and a coach, I can, I can draw on my perspective as a parent. And again, I have kids this age, so I always try to look at it through the lens of like, what would I, how would I want someone to handle my child? And, you know, I've had to have those conversations with a couple of parents to say, you know what, like, I'm not sure your, your kid's not in a very good place right now. And I think that maybe coming back, you know, they maybe need to take some time away or some time off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but fundamentally, I have always had an open door policy where I want kids to always feel like they can come to me, whether they do or don't, obviously that's, that's on them. But certainly I've had plenty of kids come to me over the years. And I think my job is to be available to them, um, you know, ready for whatever they need, and then to help facilitate um, whatever kind of, um, you know, treatment attention that they might need for that mental health issue. And listen, like, again, I've coached for I'm on going on year 28, 29. I don't even, I don't even know at this point, but like I've seen the gamut from like kids who have some, they have family issues Mm -hmm. to like, you know, mid years or, you know, you know, mid career, um, parents surprisingly get divorced to eating disorder kids who really have significant kind of like really, really tough mental health, um, stuff that has been very, very deep rooted, um, hereditary things, you know, so you see kind of the gamut and my job as a coach is to help facilitate that in the best way that I possibly help facilitate their improvement, um, and their health and their journey as best as I possibly, as best as I possibly can. Okay. That's awesome. Coach last question. And I'll get you off on here. What are you looking forward to the most for this upcoming season? I know you've been coaching for almost 30 years. Coaching for, for this long, what what motivates you now just to look forward into a new year with, with new athletes coming in and, and dealing with a whole new set of goals? What are you looking forward to the most for this upcoming season? Well, I would say um, we're going to have a lot of change this year. Like I, I think I said before, we graduated, um, I guess we graduated six, probably 10 kids from our team, but six of them were fifth year students. So they had been with us for five years. And so, you know, and, and they were a tremendous group. They had a big impact on the field and off the field. So I'm kind of excited about the challenge of, of this new year in that, you know, we lost that big group. We have four graduate transfers. We didn't take any graduate transfers last year. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of how we come together, you know, and I think the great thing about coaching is that every year is, every year is a new year. You have new challenges and that's today. Actually, I spent a lot of time, like kind of later in the day when my office was quiet to think about like, what some of those challenges might be. How do we need to approach this year differently than maybe we've approached last year or the year before? And then obviously we've had COVID to handle too. So it's kind of the first year in a while, like in two years where we haven't had to manage like COVID issues or have COVID rules right. and stuff like that. So I'm, you know, I think when you're not excited for a year to start, it's time to start thinking about doing something else. Exactly. Over. Mm-hmm. But I'm genuinely excited um, to see how these new 11 new athletes, again, four of whom are, you know, 21, 22 year olds, and then, you know, seven who are, um, 
seven who are freshmen, they're probably 17, 18 years old, come in um, to our program this year and, and see what they're going to do for us. And just see how we come together. I think for our team last year, we we really had a great year until the very end. And I think we didn't necessarily handle some of our stuff at the end of the year as well as we could have. And I think our kids are going to be very hungry to try and get themselves back to where we were this year and, and exceed where we were last year. Okay, that's awesome, Coach. Well, thank you. I just want to say thank you so much for getting on here. Uh, I was blessed to have you on, on on today's show. And just thank you for reaching back out and getting on and sharing your story and uh, just sharing your experience and, and, you know, sharing your perspective on mental health. I really greatly appreciate you, Coach Kimmel. Hopefully we can just continue to stay in touch. I wish you nothing, when I say nothing, nothing but the best for this upcoming year. So thank you for, again for, from the bottom of my heart, from hopping on the show. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, Mark, come visit us sometime in Durham, okay? Okay, I will. I will. We'll talk about that, all right? Awesome. All right, yeah, take care, Coach. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.